Hello, everybody. Welcome to Data Endures February Tech Talks. I'm Kirsten Burke, and I'm joined by Shaheen Peruz. And uh, we're delighted to have you join us today. Um, I had, when Shaheen and I were talking about the topic for today, I had mentioned to him a recent report I had seen from Capgemini that was all about artificial intelligence and how companies um, are really seeing the opportunity to harness that to help uh, take them to the next level with their cybersecurity. And um, Shaheen has a rather, uh, shall we say, controversial uh, thought, um, some controversial thoughts about uh, artificial intelligence and really where we are as well as where we're not. Um, so I thought this might be kind of a neat topic for us to talk about today. Um, the idea of you know what is really available, what is the fact versus what are the futures of where artificial intelligence may go. But then also to drill down a little bit into, you know, what really is available today. Um, clearly from everything that we see and know today, uh, cyber threats aren't going away. Um, the number of alerts, the things you have to manage, the number of tools you have to buy. So things are getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And so truly if there is a way to more easily or effectively manage it, we wanna know. Um, and so maybe to talk a little bit about that and then maybe wrap up on, you know, what, what companies can do next. So Shaheen, talk to us a little bit about artificial intelligence. So this is, this is controversial in the same vein as uh, the article that came out in the 80s that IT doesn't matter. Mm. Um, everybody got really upset, everybody in IT, of which I was one of, that uh, what do you mean IT doesn't matter? And the reality was it was a completely accurate forecast of where IT was going. Today, we don't spend a lot of cycles thinking about how IT differentiates our company because it doesn't. It brings us up to a parallel level with everybody that we're competing against. What differentiates us is those things that are unique about us. Mm -hmm. So you need to do IT well. There's no question that it needs to be done well. If you don't do IT and security properly, then you don't have a business to begin with. Mm -hmm. But IT is not one of those things that's at the edge of uh, the decision process in any organization or any corporation. It's not the why you're in business, it's really how you do your business. So um, in the same vein, I'm going to say today that artificial intelligence doesn't exist yet. And uh, what I mean by that is that we have gotten to a point where marketing has really spun the term artificial intelligence from um, a category that it was back in the 70s when we started thinking about computers being able to process things. And worrying and, about how. And worrying about how. Right. To, to a notion that we've got a, a, let's call it a virtual reality-based intelligence that is trying to help us do our things. And the reality is it's not an intelligence yet. It's getting there. There are pockets of where that is being done in research and there's some amazing, um, let's call it computer brains that are doing, and I don't mean people that are computer smart, I mean, virtual brains that are being created that are processing a lot like we do and learning a lot like mm -hmm. we do. Um, but that is not something that's mainstream and that is not something that we see in commercial software. So there's a ton of companies out there that come at you and the first thing they say is we're AI focused and AI driven company and, and you don't need any analysts, you don't need any of this, you don't need any of the other. And uh, the, the controversial aspect of what I wanna say is you need to be cautious with a lot of that. Um, what's happening in the market today with commercial software is a combination of machine learning and deep learning that is getting branded artificial intelligence. And 
while AI is something that will be very cool when it comes, uh, and yes, we will worry about HAL and the Terminator and, <laughs> and Skynet and all that, um, the, the reality is today, it's a set of decision trees. And the decision trees, um, in some cases, are very complex, which make it look like the mm -hmm. machine is mm -hmm. thinking. But in reality, it's following a fork that was created for it by the developers. So it's only as good as the developers. Where deep learning comes in is it's trying to take the bits and pieces of experiences that we've put in front of. So we put a lot of information in front of the code and say, process all this code and find similarities or find singularities. And based on those findings, follow the decision tree that we've given you. Mm -hmm. Why that's important is it would take us as humans weeks, months, years to find those singularities and similarities in, in petabytes of uh, data, but the machines can do it so much faster. So there's a significant amount of value in terms of the machine being able to help us and help automate mm -hmm. uh, or even orchestrate some of what we're trying to do. Um, but, but the big caution is it's not displacing people. It is augmenting the menial mundane tasks whereas people still need to have their creativity and knowledge and everything come to play to make a decision based on the output mm -hmm. from those systems. Well, it seems that you also need the intelligence on the front end mm -hmm. to actually be able to program these systems, these tools. Um, we here uh, within Data Endure, we have a data science practice and we get involved in some of these situations where folks have bought into this mm -hmm. and, you know, it's easy. You just need to, you know, start, you know, putting a few feeds in and, and you're going to hit Nirvana. And yep. these folks are stumped because it's not as easy as they thought and they're not getting the information or the intelligence that they thought. Exactly. And so not having that intelligence on the front end or that structure and needing it on the back end, there's still a lot of human factors that need to be involved. It's true. There's, um, if you think of data science as a whole, there's it's starting to transition to where we used to have the database guys and we used to have the developers. And there was a little bit of crossover where the database guys knew how to write scripts and the developers knew how to write queries, but primarily they were isolated and separate. Today we're seeing where the data science folks are starting to become DBAs that know how to code and coders who know how to manage a data structure. And the reason that's important is there's another layer above that that is the transition or the integration between the business and the technology. The, the folks who are creating machine learning and deep learning and artificial intelligence are technologists. They don't necessarily understand the business problem. Mm -hmm. So there's some translation layer that is saying, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And the customers that Kirsten's referring to come to us and they say, I want to know how many meals are served in my cafeteria. And the, from a technology perspective, that's simple. Just feed all your uh, uh, logs in from your POS systems and we'll be able to tell you. And then they say, but that only tells us how many meals. I don't know who did it. And it's like, oh, you didn't say that. Okay, let's, so, so where that business layer comes in is trying to understand what outcome are you trying to achieve and then helping to translate mm -hmm. that to the bits and bytes that turn into I need not only this source, but these other seven sources in order to get you the data you want, how to bridge those gaps. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the machine can't figure that out for you. Right. The machine can say, you gave me a source and here's the only mm -hmm. data I have, mm -hmm. here's what I'm gonna present to you. 
Um, and there's a lot of really cool analytics platforms out there that are giving you perspectives. But without that business tier of taking the business um, outcome or requirement and then translating it to what the technical needs are, uh, we call it a data gap analysis or data source analysis. Um, that that really falls flat because we have a lot of companies who, for example, have spent a lot of money on Splunk and they leverage it as their sock offering or their SIM. And in reality, um, they aren't giving it the right data sources. So they get really frustrated when they're not getting the alerts they need or the information they need to make business decisions. And that data source analysis is a key component of figuring out what, what do you feel is important. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the firewall logs modifying the code or anything is touching that or whatever the case may be. Um, that business layer is where humans have to come in to have the dialogue. Well, you started going down the cybersecurity path. So, yeah. you know, back to this study, um, just a couple of things that they mentioned and they're using the term AI, mm -hmm. but lets us use it more broadly and right. say machine learning or, or deep learning. Yep. But, you know, clearly folks out there are overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. They're overwhelmed by the feeds, they're overwhelmed with the technology, um, and they see an opportunity to use some kind of an automation to help them um, identify. So almost two thirds of, of these folks who've been surveyed think that AI will help them identify critical threats. So that's one. And then there was over two thirds of the respondents said that they believe it's going to be necessary, um, AI will be necessary to help them respond to threats. And then there are folks out there also who say they're really hoping that some kind of automation will help um, lower their costs, uh, whether that be on technology and tools, whether that be on having to hire more people, um, so, so there is pressure there to find a different way of doing things because we can't keep throwing bodies at it or tools at it. Yep. So if we round it back to security, what's real? You know, what is out there? What can people do from mach machine learning or deep learning? What, what, what's available for them to harness? So that, that goes back to the, the first thing I said, which is there is a, um, for a small customer, we have a customer that's about. 150 employees, so not significant in size. Uh, they have uh, three office locations. They're a nonprofit. We pull in about uh, 75 million events a year for this one tiny customer for security. So imagine a human being having to process mm -hmm. 75 million events. Find the needle um, in the haystack. Not only find the needle, but also take those events and correlate them so that we can say, this came from the firewall, this came from the antivirus, this mm -hmm. came from Active Directory, this came from the network, and all these pieces come together to say this is a real problem. Mm -hmm. um, because they all, all are uh, converging or colliding on what looks like an indication of compromise. Um, that is where deep learning and machine learning really comes to play. And we leverage it pretty heavily in our SOC offering in that we are the correlation rules we write are written by really smart analysts and security experts. Um, but the machine learning is taking those correlation rules and taking those 75 million events and narrowing them down to this is something we need to look at. Mm -hmm. Now, the next level, which is we need to look at it, we have senior analysts that are investigating an alert that pops up. So the correlation rules are getting down to out of 75 million events. We typically, for that same customer, we see about 100 alerts a year. Um, so not, not mm -hmm. significant. 
So we're able to narrow down from 75 million down to 100 alerts. And of those 100 alerts, there are about 20 alerts that are actionable. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's that's pretty steady state for them. They, they've been a customer for about two years and there's much larger ones, but I just wanted to show you in a small company, mm -hmm. the number of events that's are significant. significant. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, so to get down to those 20 actionable events, we had to have analysts review a hundred alerts. Mm -hmm. So from a customer's perspective, they're seeing only 20 things. From a, a service provider perspective, we're seeing a hundred things. From a machine learning perspective, we're seeing 75 million things. Right. And so the value of machine learning and security specifically is to help narrow down. But again, without the correlation rules I talked about, mm -hmm. we're, kind of shooting in the dark right. um, and there's uh, if you if you take a look at some of the largest breaches in the world one of the gaps in their environment was the in some cases in targets example for, for example when the target breach happened they noticed something on the network and they brushed it off as it's not a big deal hmm. and it ended up being a big deal and they were the largest breach ever at that point in time um, in uh, in many other cases they're just simply missed because they're not looking at the right log sources. A lot of companies will make a decision because today technology solutions around security, the SIM, for example, is priced based on the terabytes of data that's passed through it or the number of events per second that are processed by the SIM. It forces customers to, in order to save money, reduce the number of logs they send mm. to the SIM. So kind of counterproductive, right? If, if you're, if you're on the beach and you're looking for some jewelry that got dropped by the people who go there and you're out there with a single metal detector, the likelihood of you finding something is pretty minimal. But if you have a hundred people lined up and they all have metal detectors, you're going to find it a lot faster. So if you have a hundred log sources, you're going to find uh, malicious activity mm -hmm. on your network much faster than if you have two. Mm -hmm. uh, and today's pricing models incent customers to reduce the number of logs they put in, uh, which is why our SOC model is designed around a flat uh, price per appliance per month. And we want to see all your logs uh, because we believe that without that level of data, you can't possibly find threats inside a network. So you talk about um, our data endure SOC as a service. Mm -hmm. So when we kind of take a look at, okay, so we understand what's out there. We understand the opportunity and the benefit. So how do we execute, right? So mm -hmm. either we go build it ourselves yep. um, or we find someone who can do it for us. Yep. Like, like you just talked about that. And, uh, you know, I think for businesses today and, you know, all across your organization, you find teams um, using managed services, if you will, or as a service to do things that, you know, they don't want to spend the headcount cost on. They want to, like you said earlier, they want their people focused on what's core to the business, what's core to building the business, although those things are still very important. Right. So um, can you talk a little bit about how a company might think about build versus buy? Yeah. Um, you know, I can imagine being an organization thinking, oh my gosh, so I've had to go out and buy all these security tools, right? So, you know, whether it be the firewall, endpoint detection, whatever, it's I'm buying all these tools, so I'm spending on that. Um, now I have to figure out, A, are they working? Mm -hmm. And B, if they are, you know, how do I manage everything that's coming into me so that I can actually um, 
benefit from the efficacy of these tools. Yep. And now you're telling me I have to go in and I have to put something else in there to, to try to correlate all of this. Yep. So it's a heavy lift. It is. So build versus buy. How, how would a company make that decision? So um, we're at a point. Um, so you hit the nail on the head. There's today nobody, nobody out there is considering doing payroll themselves. Not, I don't mm -hmm. know a single company that does. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the smallest of companies are writing checks, but it just is not a valuable use of anybody's time. Um, the a lot of HR functions are being displaced and put uh, outsourced. Um, a lot of IT has been outsourced th mm -hmm. these days. Um, security is starting to ramp up in terms of outsourcing over the last five years or so. And the reason for this is today the adversaries the there's a there's there's a great book I read which is called the Cyber Conundrum and the Cyber Conundrum was by a good friend of mine um, Pete Cronus and Pete wrote that it isn't that there's more hackers and there's smarter hackers in the world it's that there's a larger amount of pressure to put software out faster for the manufacturers and so there's more vulnerabilities sure. in the enterprise software. And that the the speed to get to market has created this security flaw, and that has continued to get bigger and bigger as code bases get bigger and bigger in the software, and the hackers are simply taking advantage of those vulnerabilities, which is why we have organizations like MITRE, which manage the common vulnerabilities in the world, the CBEs, uh, and then in in parallel to that, MITRE also manages what's called the MITRE attack matrix, which is the techniques, tactics, and procedures that hackers use to get access to an environment or to take advantage of the vulnerabilities. To have a proper SOC these days, you can't just simply put the edge protections in place. You can't just have a firewall, antivirus, and uh, basically control your network uh, for two reasons. One, we're a completely distributed world today. People are working from home, from Starbucks. There's a lot of um, offices which are virtual offices these days. So how do you protect that guy who's not behind your firewall? Mm -hmm. um, and, and those are some of the factors that people are starting to run into when they think about security. So the answer is we need to get a security incident and event management platform or a SIM to bring in all the logs from the endpoint, which is no matter where it is, we want to see the log from our firewalls, from our network, from the what's happening inside our environment as well as what's happening to the PCs out in the field. But a SIM alone isn't enough because all a SIM is going to do is pull the logs in. And if you don't, again, pull mm -hmm. the right logs mm -hmm. in, you're missing. You have to have people look at those log the alerts that get generated by that deep learning and machine learning in the SIM and, and then decide, are these real? Are these mm -hmm. fake? Do we need to take actions? Mm -hmm. Do we need to put some new controls in place? But again, that's still not enough because you've got now a one tool You've got people looking at that tool, but it's now you're only limited to logs. And if I'm a good hacker, I'm not only writing to logs. And if I'm writing to logs, I'm probably going to clear my path behind me and delete the logs. So you miss the information. So now you need to do something on the network and see the network mm -hmm. traffic that's happening. And based on that network traffic, be able to correlate that with the logs to see if there's some commonalities correlate that with the endpoint information and see if there's some commonality. So now you've got three tools that you're trying to integrate. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's a set of skill set that makes those three tools come together. And then how do you know that the security controls you put in place are actually mm -hmm. effective, the efficacy that you were just asking about? 
um, you have to do purple team activity inside your network, which is effectively doing simulated hacking to see and validate whether a hacker can take a foothold inside your network or not. Um, as part of our SOC, for example, one of the features of our SOC is we do uh, five attacks every single month inside a customer's environment to do what we call a security controls validation. And we're vetting if your endpoint protection, your DLP, your firewalls, uh, your DNS security, all those things are working or not. And then we give remediation steps for how to close those mm -hmm. gaps. The biggest challenge that our organizations have always felt is configuration drift. Mm -hmm. So you set something up yep. and then the next guy, next administrator comes up and tweaks it to the right. Nothing's documented. Right. And, and, then, uh, and then got the thing working for mm -hmm. department A and the next engineer comes by and tweaks it to the left mm -hmm. and now it's working for department C mm -hmm. and, and you keep getting these little tweaks that are going back and forth. And pretty soon you've got enough holes that you're like Swiss cheese in your security, mm -hmm. but you've never gone back and done the controls validation. Mm -hmm. And so now I just added another layer of skill sets and tools. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. so you need basically white hat hackers inside your network, testing your stuff all the time. You need threat hunters finding stuff. You need analysts looking at the logs. Mm -hmm. You need network traffic analysis to see what's going on. So there's a lot of moving parts to making your environment and your end user secure today. And that's why security outsourcing is becoming a bigger reality. We take on all that headache so that our customers don't have to. Yeah, for that 125 person company you were talking about earlier, that's mm -hmm. not it's just not sustainable, right? No, they have I a mean, fraction of a person that yeah, sometimes looks. Yeah, you can't looks. find the staff. You can't hire this. I mean, just with the security personnel um, demand that's out there, you know, even if you had the budget, it's hard to find the people. But these smaller companies in particular, I mean, you can't add two, three, five people. Yeah. Yet, to your point earlier, um, your market, your customers, your investors will not tolerate you know, that level of tolerance exactly. for, oops, we had a breach, oops this, oops that. Yeah. Um, there is an expectation level now that folks are doing a certain level of um, of security. Yeah. And when you fail to demonstrate that, it can have a lot of consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Can. So build versus buy, um, it sounds like from the people's standpoint, you know, you save the time from hiring, training, retaining. It sounds like from tools, if you're not having to buy them and deploy them yourself, you probably have a cost savings and accelerated time to value yep. there. Yep. Yeah, there's um, uh, the common challenge we see is people will go out and purchase a SIM, for example, and it, they turn it on and nobody ever looks at it mm -hmm. because they don't have the time, the resources. Um, they hope that the events are coming to them in email and that the, the rules were set up right the first time. Uh, and typically it takes about a year to get a SIM working mm -hmm. smoothly. So a lot of care and feeding and touching. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then obviously with the configuration drift I talked about, that's yeah. that's a battle every day. Right. And so uh, what, what we bring to the table is really addressing those challenges specifically so that we're continuously looking for vulnerabilities, we're continuously testing security controls, and then we're monitoring mm -hmm. the uh, the events that are happening on your network against the security lens, mm -hmm. or against many security lenses. Got it, got it. Um, I don't know, do you have anything else to add to this? I think, no. I think um, you know, I'm hoping that the, the folks out there, um, what you're able to take away from this is really 
um, where the market is at today, um, which is fantastic. It's not that we're not in a good place. I mean, yeah. we're, we're at a place where there are technologies and tools that can um, can significantly help organizations get get to security faster and better and more yeah. effectively. But it just kind of depends on your your tolerance, your time tolerance, your budget tolerance, your yeah. expertise tolerance. You know how you want to handle that. Yep, I would say to you, uh, a parting thought is. While we started this with this concept of debunking artificial intelligence, the reality is it's it's not it's think of it as a category, not a technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that category today, where we are is we have really figured out machine learning pretty well, and we are starting to take advantage of deep learning, which is really learning from the past mm-hmm. that of of things we've seen and being able to repeat actions that we've done. Um, they're very, very valuable. They are taking and helping us to reduce the number of physical human resources we need to do the mundane menial mm-hmm. tasks. But um, it's a buyer beware. Don't don't come at this thinking that there is a robot brain that is so smart it's going to do all this stuff for mm-hmm. me. So it isn't really intelligence. It's 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 an augmented staff, if you will. Mm-hmm. It uh, augmented skill set or capability that mm-hmm. helps you get to something faster, reduce the amount of workload so that you don't have to build a team of 800 people. Mm-hmm. You can do it with a smaller subset. Great. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you. Yep. And uh, thanks to you for joining us and we will see you next month. Take care.